Good evening. You are listening to a Rattlegem Broadcasting Premier Podcast TV party tonight. I'm your host, the mandated reporter, and frankly, I'm mortified, Mr. Mark Rattledge. And tonight, our favorite show is Star Trek. Lower Decks, Season 2, brought to you by the good people at Paramount+. Plus. Uh, the second season of Star Trek Lower Decks follows the various missions and adventures of the Lower Deckers, lower-ranking officers with menial jobs on the USS Cerritos, one of Starfleet's least important starships. Uh, the second season premiered on Paramount Plus on August 12th, 2021, ran for 10 episodes until August, October 14th, and uh, has given way to a third season. This season, season featured many connections and references to past Star Trek series, such as Star Trek The Next Generation, including several actors returning as guest stars. And joining me as he did for season one, uh, it's David Wright. Doo, 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 doo. David Wright, how are you? I'm doing good, ready to talk some Star Trek. I always like talking Star Trek, unless it was all the Star Trek between old Star Trek and now. <laughs> I was having a discussion with a new friend that I made, and uh, she was telling me how much uh, she was really she's really been enjoying Brave New Worlds, Strange New Worlds. Yeah. Um, and I said, you know, that's on the list. We're going to get to it eventually. Uh, but I said I, that, and, and I thought this comment was funny. She was like, I told her we were reviewing Lower Decks tonight. She was like, you know, there's a lot of people out there that think this is the this is currently the best Star Trek out there, which is a really funny thing to say. And I think you and I touched on that in our first review of this is so much better than it had any right to be. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, like it, it lacks kind of the depth and uh, philosophy of, of sort of golden era Star Trek. But as far as just decent character writing, good scripting and just sort of nailing the feel of Star Trek, it's it's yeah the best thing we've had in a long, long time. I'm reminded of something Red Letter Media said with reference to Star Wars. I actually just finished watching Obi-Wan today. And they made a comment, and I want to say this might have been around the time of Rogue One, where they were like, all, all Star Wars is is uh, ATSTs and lightsabers, and it's just such a small world. It, as much as they try to play in that world and expand it, it seems like there's a limited scope as to what you can do with it. As opposed to Star Trek, and, and specifically Lower Decks, where, especially this season, that's kind of where I wanted to begin our, our discussion, Star Trek Lower Decks Season 2 really seemed to play firmly in the established world of Star Trek, taking both popular things and not-so-popular things and very niche things and only the stuff real Trekkies would know, and playing with it and messing around with it, doing different things and doing it in a way that's entertaining and funny, while also giving us good character arcs and stories. And I, it's, it's you know, we say it's one of the best Star Treks out there, but what does that mean? It means the world doesn't feel nearly as small as the world of Star Wars. What do you think? Yeah, well, one one thing about Lower Decks is like the idea is this is like the, the unimportant people in Star mm -hmm. Trek or in, in Starfleet. 
So you know, these are the people who go in after the enterprise leaves to sort of do the actual boring, mundane work of, you know, establishing diplomatic relations, offering aid, stacking all the boxes, you know, I, I, you know, all, all the menial, dull jobs, or you know, ferrying diplomats. Uh, I guess it's basically a, a show about the USS Hood, which was like a old ship that kept on having to like ferry you know, diplomats or come in after the Enterprise to do stuff, but you never actually saw anything happening on that on that ship. Mm -hmm. So right. you, you get the feeling that this is a very small ship in a very big organization in a very big universe. So you you know that there's tons of stuff happening all over the place. And this is just sort of one little corner of that view. It's almost kind of like the hobbits in Lord of the Rings where you know there there's very these very literally small people, but then you start to see that there's this huge world around them. And even though we don't get to see the whole thing, you know, we just see like you know a couple of stories in that world. There's that sense that there's you know other things going on all over the place. Yeah, and there's so much more to do. It'd be like if what if they made a show about the janitors that work at the Avengers Tower? Kind of, yeah, but sort <laughs> of make that fun and interesting. Which yeah, you know, I, I mean, I think there's there's a few good jokes you could get there, but uh, I'm not sure you could really get a. They actually did something like that. Are you are you familiar with Damage Control? Uh, no, I'm not. Damage Control is a four-issue limited series that came out many, many years ago, mm -hmm. and it was literally about the cleanup and construction crew that goes in after the superheroes have their way with the city. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was a really funny concept. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I'm not sure how much you can get out of that. that there's only a, probably a handful of jokes you can do, but uh, yeah. Yeah. So um trying to find my train of thought here again, <laughs> but uh yeah, and, and they've sort of addressed Lower Decks a little bit in previous Star Trek shows. There's been like one or two episodes of Next Generation and Voyager mm -hmm. where they sort of deal with, you know, the crews that are are not at the top, the people other than the bridge crew and sort of their perspective yeah. on things. It felt like there was a lot more of that in Deep Space Nine. Yeah. Uh, especially with like the O'Brien character. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because O'Brien was like a transporter technician on the enterprise in next generation. Like he was mm -hmm. not a, not a very important character at the start of the show. And he got a bit more time throughout the, the series. It was only in deep space nine where he became the chief engineer on deep space nine, that the character really kind of got fully fleshed out and was able to, to do his own thing. Yeah. And, uh, and I think like, as, as I mean, I don't want to turn this into a star Wars review as much as I understand what Rich Evans says when, you know, star Wars is now creatively bankrupt. I, I somewhat disagree because I think the problem is they keep on wanting to go back to the Skywalkers and the mm -hmm. and the Emperor and just you know, like keep on like making everything connected to that because that's the fan service. Whereas when you have shows like The Mandalorian, which sort of goes for the most part, you know, we're just not going to do any of that. We're just going to show this one bounty hunter, you know, out in the ass end of the galaxy, just doing his job, mm -hmm. and, and sort of expand on that. Or in Solo, they sort of do like, well, let's let's look into the world of smugglers and syndicate. Yeah. And crime i like like you can go other directions in the star wars universe and tell right. interesting stories in them it's just there there's kind of always this desire to sort of pull themselves back to like well people want to see luke skywalker you know kill a bunch of people with his lightsaber because i remember that right but and but i think that also goes to the strength of star trek and i i too don't want to compare and contrast star wars and star trek all for the next hour we yeah could but that, <laughs> that we're here to talk lower decks god damn it yeah but I um I do think that even the fans of Star Trek are much more willing to be shown something that isn't Kirk related or yeah. John Luke Picard related. Like, yeah. well, I well, mean, you, you look at the history, and when they when mm -hmm. they first announced Next Generation, there was a huge fan black backlash. Like, they didn't have the internet 
like we do today, but like there was like protests with signs outside the, you know, Paramount studios, you know, if it's not Kirk, Spock and McCoy, it's not Star Trek. And, mm-hmm. and you know, like there, there's this huge backlash because it was, it was a big change. And like the first couple of seasons of next generation are pretty rough. There's a couple yeah. of jewels in there, but uh, yeah, the show very much struggled to find its feet. And it was only until the third season that it kind of really started to figure out what it was doing and very much sort of codified how Star Trek would work from then on until, uh, you know, J.J. Abrams and Alex Kurtzman got involved. Uh, but but like even there's still like people that don't like Deep Space Nine found the like, oh, it's not on a starship and we don't really like that. That's not really what Star Trek is. Or it's kind of too dark and gritty. There's like all this stuff with war and character drama. That's not the Star Trek I, you know, I grew up with. You know, mm-hmm. And, you know, Enterprise making it a prequel series instead of a sequel and how that sort of. And then there was Voyager where Janeway was trying to blow the ship up every week. Yeah, yeah. The, so, so you know, it, there, there's always been detractors every time Star Trek has done something new. But yeah, I do think that Star Trek has managed to to reinvent itself or expand upon itself a bit more successfully, probably just given the nature of its premise and that you can go to different places and do different things. And it's been established that you don't have to follow the same set of characters around over and over and over again. One of the things that I liked about this season of Lower Decks which again i think goes to its strength um there was a lot of references made to previous star trek shows uh regarding aliens or just kind of jokes about some of the star trek tropes yeah um there's a whole bit they do about coming back to life and then of course the the gal that plays oh gosh what's her name um uh beckett tawny newsome just just runs off a list of different ways you can come back to life not 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 the least was was a reference to spock in star trek 3 yeah Yeah. they they even play around with that when they're doing the simulation training of different things uh Mm -hmm. uh, rutherford has to go and then do the self-sacrifice himself to save up the ship like in wrath of Khan. yeah (laughs) except except he can't open the handle to the door because it's so hot (laughs) so there's a lot of that in there's a lot of that in this season. It seems like there was more of it this season than there was in the first one. Like, you know, you and I talked about the first season and it, it's got that Rick and Morty feel because those are the people that the people that worked on Rick and Morty also worked on this. Yeah, but um, I think they've, they've distanced themselves from that quite quite a bit now. Well, that's what I was going to say. Like the first season, it felt like they were going for irreverent and then yeah. eventually they figured out that that's not really what people wanted. You can do irreverent, but I think the master you really want to serve is playing around with the star. Yeah, I think they kind of just like, wait a minute, nobody upstairs cares what we're doing. What the heck? Let's actually make a show. I think beyond that, a lot of season two is, again, playfully making fun of stuff from previous Star Trek. And that's very rich for fans like you and I, especially you who have more of a memory for this sort of thing than I do. Um there are episodes that full on reference stuff that happened previously. And those got the biggest laughs out of me. Yeah. And I don't like, I think like, especially with Picard season two, they've sort of the, the, the team working on star Trek, they've sort of mastered the member berries for star Trek. They, they know Mm -hmm. how to reference obscure stuff and throw it into the show. And then yes, Hey, that's a thing I remember. Uh, And you know, for some people that's all they need, but I think, I think where, where you get a show that's, goes better is like lower decks even if you take out all the member berries mm-hmm. you're, you're still left with like a decent drama with characters and interesting problems and situations like you don't really need to be steeped in star trek to appreciate right. the show i think though it certainly does help 
it, it definitely helps. I think it gives you a greater appreciation for the show. One of the things that they talked about this season, they seem to have abandoned it midway through, but I guess coming out of the first season, Beckett and her mom, who is the captain, came to an understanding and they were going to work together. And of course, when we start off season two, that's strained and it's abandoned about two or three episodes later. Um, so what did you think of the continued story of the mom and the daughter working together, but the daughter is still very much like bucking authority and the mom is still trying to figure out what to do with her. And, (laughs) you know, they joked about throwing her in the brig in the first season a handful of times and they do it at least once in season two. Yeah. Um, I, I think that it was, they did a good job in sort of giving a sort of realist, uh, realistic explanation for why it fell apart. Mm-hmm. That these two, these two still they 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 clash too much, and it doesn't quite work for them being totally in, in in step with each other. And then they sort of add in like sort of Ransom's jealousy of how, you know, Mariner basically gets to run over everyone because she's got this special position within the crew, mm-hmm. and. You know, and they do it, you know, in the hilarious, he gets God powers and just goes on a rampage. <laughs> you know, you know, sir, there's a giant head coming up from the surface of the planet. What? <laughs> but uh, but I, I do like how at the end when, uh, when yeah, the captain, I can never remember her name either. Uh, when she says, like, you know what, this isn't working. I don't like this. And Mariner says, yeah, I don't like this either. And then it's like, right. yeah, well, okay, I'm sending you to the brig. You know, thanks, mom. Love you. Love you too. But she does <laughs> mention, she does mention that, uh, you know, like they, they, they would, should still do the odd team up, but yeah, we should mm-hmm. probably go back to you doing stuff behind my back. So it's not a complete backslide to the status quo. Mm-hmm. And, and you even see over the course of the series, them doing more mother daughter bonding, like yeah. doing recreational activities together, spending time in the. And that was the thing about the mom, yeah. even the, but the, the mom comes across a little bit more like uh, an antagonist in the first season, the second season. <clears throat> She's a little less perfect than she was presented as in season one. You know, uh, season one, it's it definitely felt like, the, especially the way it starts. It's only you know, like she's really going after Beckett, like she's trying to get her thrown off the ship. Yeah, well, I think um, I think first season, it's more like my daughter is not living the life that I want her to live. She's not pursuing yeah. a career, and we we know that Mariner is a very capable person. She's got a lot of experience, and you know, if she really applied herself to working up the chain of command, she would rise. You know, incredibly quickly. Well, but you bring that up. I actually now I want to touch on that because two and three times I feel like in season two she said why she won't get promoted, you know, or why she doesn't take things seriously, or why she won't connect with anyone else on the ship, you know, outside of uh, on a surface level. She talks about everybody else gets promoted, and then so she she doesn't want to make friends. She doesn't want to get to know people. This happens with the gal who plays the the green alien. Yeah, Tendi. Um, yeah, Tendi. Like, she doesn't want to get close with Tendi because Tendi will eventually get promoted and she'll move on and she'll leave her. And so a lot of this season deals with Beckett's attachment uh, issues. Yeah. Well, they even have that bit where she she sabotages Boimler when he gets mm-hmm. to, to move ahead a little bit, where he gets some positive notice from Ransom. He gets put on a, a more risky mission that would be sort of him... ...to... To, mm-hmm. to pull him off, and of course, eventually Boimler finds out about this and is not pleased. But yeah, we we, we see how I, I I don't think we've really dealt with what was the event or events that sort of caused her to abandon her career and stay in the lower decks. Mm-hmm. But uh, she certainly has this attitude of 
lower decks gets things done. The bridge officers are just a bunch of social climbers who are obsessed with protocol and kissing the right butts. Well, I think the way she's written, she says that stuff out loud as more of a tough guy thing. But I think really, yeah. I think the meat of that character lies in the fact that she, if she pursues promotion she will inevitably be moved away from the you know there's something about her character that seems to treasure the social element of being on a star on a star fleet ship more so than the actual job like there's something about the camaraderie that she likes there's something about uh again the social aspects that she seems to gravitate towards and so she's like i'm gonna find and they even talk about this with boimler where it's like well I'm going to find the weakest guy on the ship to be friends with because he'll never go anywhere and I'll always have somebody. Yeah. Which I think is interesting. Um because mm-hmm. it does it does talk about it it does speak to I think people's different uh different opinions on the workplace. There are people who absolutely feel like you know, work is a place that I need to better myself and get promoted and have more responsibilities and make more money. And then there are people who are like I got to do I got to get a job to pay my bills. But um, I'm here to make friends. <laughs> Scott Hall famously, you know, you can either make friends or make money in this business. I've already got friends. Yeah. Um, and she and she seems to be very much caught up in the almost like an arrested development where I'm just here for friends. And I'm only going to pick the friends that are most likely to not get promoted, which I think is an interesting thing. Yeah, it's an interesting uh, take on the character. I, I hadn't really picked up on that. Though to, mm-hmm. to get back to your initial question about her mom is I think at the end of the first season, she sort of realized that there was some value to mm-hmm. Mariner's way of doing things. And that's sort of why she said, well, maybe I should work with you instead of against you. And then but first episode, they find out it's, it's not really working out. But that there there's more mutual respect between the two and understanding in this season. Well, it's, it's not perfect because like yeah. these things don't change I, overnight. I think in the second, I think at two or three episodes into the second season, she says, we're not going to work directly together, but I need you to keep doing what you're doing because sometimes the way you do things needs to get done. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. There's, there's a, she, she, she's earned a bit more of acceptance and understanding and respect from her yeah. mother. And, and that well, sort of shows throughout the season with their relationship as they're trying to sort of, you know, put, put it, put their relationship back together. I think there's like a tacit recognition that sometimes things are going to get messy and who are you going to call? Yeah, and I think you know. I think it's the first season focused more on the captain becoming accepting of Mariner. I think season two is going a bit more Mariner learning to respect her mom and the way that she does things. Um, another thing that I liked about this season, it was only one episode where they dealt with this, but so Boimler uh, last season went over to Riker's ship and he and there's yeah. a couple of and I got I got to touch on how they conclude that by the way because it was really funny <laughs> it was definitely like a throwback to a Star Trek thing yeah they directly referenced it but um there's an episode in season two where uh they have a replacement come over and he's a yellow shirt and uh they go on a mission together and he's trying to lead the mission she's trying to lead the mission and <laughs> my favorite part of that whole thing is where they're doing the uh they're doing the shower and um yeah. And she's like, you know, she keeps turning up the heat, and he's turning up the heat. Now, you know, they're they're competing with, and they're burning everyone around them. Yeah, you know, and she's, you know, and the, 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 where they're crossing hairs and butting heads is essentially she's like, "You're only doing this to get promoted." I hate people like you, and I can't remember what he accuses her of, but they eventually work past it. They have an understanding. They complete the mission, and then just as soon as he's welcomed as part of the group, 
Boimler comes back from Riker's ship and she kicks him out of the booth. And as they pull away, as, as they pull away on the shot, you can see him being like hurt by the experience. And, mm-hmm. you know, not every, not every episode needs to be baby dark side and, you know, the universe collapsing or a death star being need, need to be blown up. Sometimes just a nice human drama about the need to be accepted uh, is nice. It was, you know, it's a nice little episode. Yeah, agreed. I, I didn't pick up on uh, on on him looking dejected at the end, but I'll, I'll take oh, your word. To- he totally did. Yeah, totally yeah. Did. I, I trust you, but mm-hmm. yeah, and I, I do like that Mariner. She has that multidimensionality to her. She's not mm-hmm. just a super ensign who knows more than everyone else and can do more than everyone else. She she does have her flaws, but it's mm-hmm. never to the point of making her an unlikable character or a terrible person. It's just she's not perfect like everyone else. Right. Um. So Boimler on Riker's yeah. ship, they uh, he's on a mission, and I think that I think his whole arc there on that in that particular episode was, you know, sometimes you gotta. Uh, I, he's with like almost like a like a marine crew. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. The Titan crew are very much more action oriented, much like you would expect you know, a Riker led ship to be. Mm-hmm, yeah, um, and so he's with, with these badasses. And he ends up solving the. They do this again later on. Um, him and I can't remember the cyborg character's name, but uh, uh, Rutherford. Yeah, the sort of this tacit recognition that sometimes you can solve problems with your brain. Yeah, not and not good. the and not the discovery way of shoot him in the fucking face. Yeah. Um, so with the with the Titan crew, he does something, and I can't remember what, but it's he's obviously using his inherent talent and intelligence to solve the problem he gets everybody beamed off the planet and when he gets beamed off he ends up uh, splitting into two and that's how they resolve him both staying and leaving Riker's ship his clone stays yeah and then he has to go back to the Cerritos which I thought was amusing but uh later on and I believe it's the episode where they think Mariner is like a double agent or a spy or something. Yeah, she's like Starfleet intelligence, super yeah. elite assassin, right? Sort of thing. Yeah, and they they play on her relationships again, going back to what we started talking about, where you know she only she she only friends the weakest amongst them because they're less likely to leave her. Uh, and and Boiler and um, what was the cyborg character's name again? Rutherford. Rutherford, like believe that. They, you know, they, there's a whole scene of the, there's all bit at the beginning of the, of the episode where she beats their asses in like, you know, a, a training exercise. And so they just assume, like, oh, well, the bartender said she was like this monster. I bet she is. And I can't remember what her rationale is for telling people that. But the, the solution to whatever problem they're having is like, oh, God, what was it? It was something uh, like it was, there was a Ferengi running like a animal poaching operation. They, they, yeah, they showed him how they could make more money. Is yeah, what yeah, exactly. The, the, the solution was not go in and do a big action scene and rescue everyone. It was show mm-hmm. them, like, you know, there's a much more profitable way that you could be running your business that isn't illegal. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. they come in with the big bazooka that they put together mm-hmm. and they, they hit the button and it turns out to be like a projector and they're giving like a, a business plan presentation. Right. And Mariner says, you know, sometimes you need the hammer and sometimes you need, uh, you, you know, you need the carrot. You need the stick or the carrot. And I, I, that, was, that, that was also one of those ones that, that jumped out at me and ended up being really, really nice was her recognizing that her friends are not weak. They're different, which I think yeah. is a 
was a nice a nice way for the writers to handle that. Yeah, well, um, I like how, and this is very typical of more Golden Age Trek is like even mm-hmm. at the beginning, like Dakota to the to the show, like yeah, after they show her just like you know whipping them mercilessly in the yeah, I forget the name of the game Anbu Shinju or something like yeah, it's it's some fictitious Japanese ish thing. Yeah, Riker and his dad played it in an episode mm-hmm. of TNG, so that's where the reference comes from. But after that, you see them like playing like a game where it's all about negotiating. And and marriage is like, oh, this is dull. Like, why are you guys playing this? But the two of them, right. are like, oh, no, it's really fun. And he was like, oh, well, I'm not happy to know. Neither am I. Yay, we've achieved consensus. Well, and, and, the, and, and the other thing is like how they solve the problem. Yeah. Well, the other thing about that game, which I thought was a really funny gag, was she was like, I, I'm going to go get more drinks. And then and she doesn't know how if she doesn't know if she's winning or not. And they're and they're like, oh, you totally, you're we're totally kicking your ass. She goes away. They like clear the board. They're like, like she better not ever find out she was beating us. Yeah, that yeah, the very end of the episode, which I kind of yeah. wish they hadn't done. Like it was, they sort of kept it as you know, Boimler and Rutherford are good at this, and Mariner's good at you know everything else. It seemed like they sort of sacrificed the message of the the episode for a for a joke. The uh, other thing I wanted to bring up was I thought it was an adorable episode with Tendi. Uh, I can't remember why the cyborg uh, why Rutherford lost his memory, but they're playing around a lot with that in the beginning. Yeah, and. Uh, there's an episode where Tendi is trying to like diagnose him and fix yes. him, and she's like, <laughs> and she's like chasing him with different things and trying to like shoot him up and stuff. And I and I, I it was something along the lines of if he gets his memory back, he might remember that he doesn't like me or something like that. I, I don't remember what her whole paranoia was. Um, oh, well, I, I think he's like dating somebody at the beginning of the episode, which yeah, like his, his personality has changed, and she wants to mm-hmm. change it back so that right. he. She, she he'll, he'll always like her or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but it, it's handled very it's handled very funny. You know, romance is a very funny thing. Um, people seem to look at it one way, but even like something like that, she clearly loves him on some level and is afraid that he'll leave her. And so she she goes to what she knows. She tries to fix it. Yeah, so, I actually really like that with the two of them. They don't really go into will they, won't they territory, yeah, but it's yeah. clear that they have a a special friendship, but uh, a, a platonic mm-hmm. special friendship. Yep. Yeah, um, so kind of nice to see that for a change in a show. So those are the major points that I wanted to talk about as far as the show. I mean, there was a couple of references to Voyager. Uh, yeah. Again, they had they had Riker on the show. By the way, what did I, I will ask you this? What did you think of the way they handled Riker? Um, because it almost felt like, like it felt like Star Trek fans kind of making fun of Riker, like by making him almost an exaggerated version of himself. Yeah, he he likes to drop jazz references whenever he can, which is never <laughs> really something he did. It was like he he enjoyed playing jazz, like that was part right. of his character. He played the trombone, but but yeah, it was never something that he he would say all the time. Much mm-hmm. like you know, Picard didn't you know talk about Shakespeare all the time on the show. It's clear that he. He, he appreciated the classics, but, you know, it's not something that he would bombard people with. Mm-hmm. But, like, again, with the tone of the show, it kind of works because they're just, again, poking fun at things and, and not there's taking the, themselves too seriously. There's, there's the episode with Tom Paris, which they don't really do anything with him. He's just he's just there. Uh, they don't, I, don't, I don't think they really integrated him as part of the episode. Yeah, it was, it was, that, more, yeah, it was more Boimler having something to do. Though, best episode yeah. title. Yeah. You know, but we'll always have Tom Paris. We'll always have Don Paris. Those are the major points that I wanted to discuss. What, what uh, any particular episodes jump out at you or elements from these episodes that you wanted to discuss? Uh, sure. I mean, it's it's a bit harder with season two because with season one, it, you know, what was so interesting about it was just how good it was compared to expectations. Mm-hmm. Just because yes. 
Like we, we were so used to Star Trek not being very good relative to what it used to be that, yeah, like you can understand how jaded people were towards this, but then to, to find out, it's like, oh, wait, there's actually like a good writing team behind this that are actually doing good character work and having a blast and making a lot of fun and obviously showing that they really like Star Trek and they want to do stuff with this. Like, I think there's sort of the, you could almost say there's sort of two types of writers in these types of shows. There's the ones that want to be there. And then there's the ones that have to be there. Mm -hmm. so you, you get the writers where like, I, I feel like, say, in Discovery, why not? I, I kicked, kicked it already. I'm not, why stop now? Like, I think that if Discovery got canceled and all the writers had to find new work, they'd just be like, okay, I'm just going to go and you know, write on whatever I get get next. Yeah. Uh, I, like, it's, 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 it's a job to them. It's, it's kind of like, uh, you know, when they asked Chris Evans about being Captain America, he's just like, well, that's what they're making now. Like, you just sort of feel like, you know, he's not really like a, a comic book fan or a Captain America fan. It's just, you know, this is where the, you know, the good roles are. Right. If you want a successful career. So yeah, like if Westerns were popular, he'd be doing Westerns. It's yeah. just you know, that sort of thing. And that's not to knock him, you know, he's, he's doing his career. No, I, yeah. I mean, like everyone acts, just as an aside, like Hollywood, Hollywood actors are looking for gigs. Yeah. And, and this idea that you have to, be a passionate Star Wars person to do a Star Wars project is ridiculous. Like, you, Chris Evans doesn't have to be a Captain America fan; he has to be a good working actor. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. Well, well, one of my favorite stories is like uh, Russ Meyer has has said that you know he he is not a Star Trek fan. He doesn't mm -hmm. hate Star Trek, but he 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 doesn't follow it. He's not really into the lore or anything like that. And this is the man that made Wrath of Khan, which many people consider mm -hmm. to be like one of the greatest moments in all of Star Trek. And yeah. as much as that was just a job for him, he, he showed up, he did the work, you know, he, he right. watched the show. He's like, I okay, I get what this is. I have an right. idea for a good story. Well, it was the same thing with Eric Kirshner with the empire strikes back. Like he wasn't yeah. like a world again, star Wars was barely an IP at the time, but you know, it was just like, Hey, we need, I think George Lucas was a tacit realization that he needed somebody who had an idea, who had a real handle on movie craft mm -hmm. to come in and do his second star Wars movie. And what do you know? It's the best one of the bunch. Yeah, and even like Al, Sir Alec Guinness, he's just like, Yo, I have no idea what the heck I'm talking about. What's an Obi Wan Kenobi? But you know, he showed have, up, he did the job, I, and I love the Alec Guinness on Star Wars. He's just sitting in Tunisia, and it's like, I don't, I don't understand what any of this is, but sure, I'll say the thing. Yeah, I'm getting paid, so <laughs> yeah. well, it, well, it's funny, like the whole thing where uh, to give you a preview of when we talk about Obi Wan, like Caden Christensen and Ewan McGregor saying, you know, like they they want to do a season two of of Obi Wan, even though it's a limited series, and it's like, yes. I too like working more for more money. <laughs> yeah. Like, yes, we, we we would like to stay employed, please. So of course, yes, season yeah, the, two. The blogs act like when these guys are like, oh, I'm totally down for a season two. Like, oh, they really love. The no, 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 no. They know it. <laughs> They're not dumb. They know this is guaranteed work. Yeah. You know. And the thing of it is, if you're a Hayden Christensen or Ewan McGregor, you totally do an Obi Wan series so that you can go do like gay cowboys eating pudding as your next thing, yeah. which won't make any money, but you'll at least stretch as an actor. Yeah, it's like to, to quote Sir Michael Caine, you know, I haven't seen Jaws for it, but I've seen the house it bought for me, and it's lovely. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but so so yeah, like I I I too agree that you know you don't always have to be a passionate in depth fan. You don't need to be yeah. a Dave Filoni to do good work. But at the same time. I do think there are those that are just, you know, like what, whatever, we'll just yeah throw in a bunch of references from whatever the reference people say we can do. And, you know, we'll, I'll, I'll, we'll just do our own thing and kind of make it Star Trek-y. Uh, mm -hmm. but, but when you look at Lower Decks, it's like, you know, these are people that love Star Trek. They, they are happy to live, to, to work in that universe. 
and 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 it shows. I, I, yeah. It really shows. Like, you know, these, like, I, you know, like in Picard season two, where like we had to give this sort of tragic backstory about him st- being unable to prevent his mom from killing herself due to her mental illness, and that's the motivation for why he had to go into space and become a good person and help other people because he just is processing his grief. Like, no, like he's just a good person because he's a good person and he wants to go into space because going into space is cool. Yeah. You know, like, like, I don't, I don't, you don't need some sort of tragic backstory and trauma behind every character motivation. And no, like, everyone like, has to be traumatized now, David, don't yeah. you understand? Yeah. And, and, and you see that in lower decks with a lot of the characters, like, you know, you want to go look at the warp core. Yeah. I love looking at the warp core. The warp core is so awesome. Like there's mm. just people that are so happy to be where they are and think that this is just the coolest job. Well, even and, that, even at that, like, you know, you talk about like MacGuffins and, you know, thing side quests, things th- th- things to do. So the the Tendi uh, Beckett episode where they go off on adventure together because Tendi has to go get something for a family heirloom for the doctor, who yes. is a who's a talking walking cat. Yeah, and you know it, it's an excuse for them to have an adventure and connect with each other. And this is where they talk about you know Beckett doesn't get to know people because they'll leave her. Tawny uh, Tendi rather, um, she has a whole thing about. Uh, not wanting to connect with people. And so they end up connecting with each other over their lack of wanting to connect to other people. But they also have this rip-roaring adventure and near-death experience. The whole thing was they needed a box. They needed a box oh. for the cat. To, to oh, the, uh, the joke in. at the end was was brilliant. How, yeah, mm-hmm. of, of, of course, they they break the, the thing mm-hmm. in transit. And you know they have a whole series of hijinks and misadventures trying to fix it. And every step, things get worse. And in the end, they just... It's like, look, sorry, we messed up. And she's like, oh, I don't care about that. I just wanted the box. And of course, right. the cat. So cats like playing with boxes. And it's like, you know, bravo. I didn't see that coming. You got yeah. me. Well, it, 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 worked it, was, it was a very subtle thing with the animation. But, you know, the cat just like stretching in the box. Going, you know? <laughs> like, I, had a good, I had a good laugh at that. Not the least of which is because I also purr. Um, yeah. All right, Dave. I'm going to shut up here and just let you sort of take us home. Anything left unsaid, any burning desires? Yeah, uh, I, I did like how they did some alternate pairings because it's usually Rutherford and Tendi and then Boimler and Mariner that mm-hmm. are all together all the time. And they actually swapped them up for a couple of episodes. So it was kind of nice to see Boimler and Rutherford sort of being geeks together and then Tendi and Mariner bonding eventually. Uh, I think it was cool to see sort of Tendi be among other Orions and sort of how mm-hmm. her place in that society is very different than her place on the on the Cerritos. Mm-hmm. Uh, Especially how she sort of has a bit of uh, shame regarding her roots, because like you know, Orions are kind of the organized crime uh, <laughs> species, much like the Ferengi are the capitalist species, the Klingons are the honor-bound warrior species, yada yada yada. Uh, so like it was kind of cool to see that sort of change in uh, in environment and sort of see a bit more of of her character outside of the Cerritos. Uh, yep. It was also nice to see like the different characters sort of growing. You know, like you know, Tendi's becoming more confident and more capable. You know, she's getting more difficult assignments, and in the end, she sort of gets transferred to a, a more. And, and even Boimler, like Boimler, I don't particularly like the neurotic, nerdy, foppish characters a lot of times. I think, yeah, not to go off on a tangent, but it almost, you know, it just feels like the writers, like, like I, I just don't like those kinds of male characters, and it feels like writers kind of taking a shot at men in general. From time to time and in boimler in season one it was like come on if you're this much of a wussy pansy you you know you wouldn't you wouldn't have lasted in starfleet this long and i liked how they treated him in season two where they didn't change him fundamentally but they gave him some they gave him some guts they gave him some courage and 
he was able to sort of get through things. He still has those moments of, ah, you know, but yeah. he, but he still comes through more often than not. And you can see that, you know, I, and again, going back to what we talked about before, I like the fact that they said he, he can win the day with his mind. He doesn't need muscles, which I think was, was nice. Yeah, I, I certainly understand a lot of the early criticism of Lower Decks, especially if you watch the first couple of episodes, because it is very much Mariner can do no wrong. She knows everything. She's a step ahead of the game at all times. And and yeah, Boimler's just this naive putz who yeah. is, is, is humiliated all the time, especially after Discovery, where you have Michael Burnham, who again is again playing the identity polit thing, politics thing, you know. You know, she's a black woman with a typically male name who's just the best at everything and everybody loves her and everything's about her and all the events in the show are in relation to things that she's achieved. Uh, and, and you know, you're just kind of like, oh, I'm just, you know, you know, and, and you know, anyone that, that crit criticizes her is pretty much killed or evil. Like, it's it's just, you know, th this is not an interesting character. And yeah, and, and I, I, I don't like rip tearing other characters down to make other characters look good. Like, I think if you just have a good character that speaks for itself, uh, you know, no matter what the identity politics are. And I think, you know, people respond to good characters regardless of, you know, whatever identity tags you, you, you apply to them, whatever boxes they check. Um, so, like, I, so I, I think once as the show progresses and you start to see a bit more of how Mariner is, she's not perfect. She does have her issues. She's still a very capable person. Like it, you know, they don't cut her down at all. It's just, they show more aspects of her personality. And you see as Boimler does gain experience, how he's, you know, taking his experiences on the Titan and being put into more life and death combat situations, how now he, he is a bit more confident. He is willing to do a bit more dangerous stuff. Like they did the, the episode where they're all having to do the, you know, the holodeck training scenarios and everyone fails on theirs and he does the escape from borg cube one which you know that's <laughs> a tough one you know the borg the borg are heavy. Well, I, what i loved about that was he kept redoing it to get a better score yeah yeah and, and like he he gets like a 76 the first time around and, and you know he just like badasses it he just you know ducks and weaves and shoots and you know he gets through the babies and everything and then he's like 76 i can do better and you just see him <laughs> over and over and over again just you know getting to 100 percent in it and and you sort of realize that, you know, Boimler now actually has some skills. He can, he can yeah. do more stuff. And yeah, he, he is not the same person he was in the last season. He's not a complete badass. He's still Boimler. But you, you see that he he is growing and he's developing. And you even get in sort of the it's within the last two episodes, you know, uh, Ransom sort of sends a, a more junior ensign or a cadet up to Boimler saying, hey, this guy knows everything that you need to know about, you know, being on the lower decks on the ship. You know, talk to him. He'll he'll help you out, and you, you see that you know, he is gaining some status and acknowledgement. And actually, I think another thing I liked about the show is there's a bit more interaction between uh, the lower decks group and the uh, bridge crew. Yeah, you know, not 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 just between you know, Mariner and the captain, but you also have you know Boimler and Ransom, or uh, I forget the security officer's name, but uh, you know he he's he's always great to see, and 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 I, and I love that they've got uh, I forget the name of the species, but like one of the Darmok. Mm -hmm. aliens as, as like one of their new security people and you know every so often the translator breaks I, I i was so disappointed that after sort of things go you know turn into a mess at the end you just didn't hear him go shackle when the walls fell <laughs> yeah. yeah but uh yeah like it's it's kind of cute stuff with that and you know good character work and uh like i'm i'm, I'm almost through my list here but uh yeah, it's a very. Uh, actually, could you just give me one second here? I have to deal with something. 
Okay. Well, um, before Dave comes back, let me go ahead and say I really enjoyed season two. Uh, kind of doing a doing some research on this, and I'll kind of read from the wiki here. McMahon said that the second season would combine standalone episodes with season-long character arcs and would take inspiration from the storytelling of Voyager, Deep Space Nine. In addition to that, Next Generation, he noted that many, many members of the crew had seen all previous Star Trek series, but they revisited specific episodes together, such as the TNG, the original series episode, A Private Little War, which introduced the Mugatos, uh, which <laughs> there's a really funny uh, episode title in this, like Mugato, Hugato, or something like that, you know, like Tomato, Tomato. Yeah, the episode titles in this season are pretty good. Um, okay, I'll read, read a few of these. Uh, first, first contact. Yeah, uh, I excretus, um, the spy humongous, <laughs> an embarrassment of duplers, Mugato Gamato. That's the that's what it is. We always have Tom Paris, uh, Kayshawn, his eyes open. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what the new security chief. Yeah. All right, Dave. I think we're gonna call it for the evening, unless you got anything else. Um, I, I thought the episode where they go into lower decks across the fl- different races was hilarious. You see, like mm-hmm. a Vulcan lower decks, Klingon lower decks. Yeah, the pack lids. It, it, I still think it's brilliant that they use the pack lids as the big bads for this because they're just such a throwaway joke of a race, but they actually make them into something somewhat, mm-hmm. somewhat intimidating yet not going to upset the power balance in in the broader Star Trek universe. Uh, and you know, at the end of the episode, they do you know, Borg lower decks, and they're all just regenerating, like they're just sitting there. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 you know, like they're they're having a lot of fun. It was very sort of tongue in cheek, and yeah. uh, I thought it was great. And yeah, the the guest stars that they get on this is like uh, the you know, like the, the computer episode where they're having to transport the 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 evil computer that wants to take over the universe. They got Jeffrey Combs to to voice the computer, and he's done like a ton of different roles throughout various star trek shows i feel like didn't they didn't the solution to that was they just unplugged it oh no no it was boimler tricked him into he's like okay i plugged you into the navigation system of this ship you know so we can we can send a distress call and it's like okay good now use my battery and he plugs the battery in and is able to use the ship it's like haha you fools now i'll use the ship's resources to build a you know a swarm of of drones to conquer the universe like uh yeah i, I lied to you like you're, you're not plugged into the navigation console you've you've you've, you've got the dimmer switch <laughs> I just gain your gain your trust so you'd let me access your battery. He's like, you know, fools, you will rule the day you mess with me. And he just starts like flicking the lights on and off and <laughs> standing there. Uh like they got for the for when the Borg Queen makes her appearance with mm-hmm. Boimler's simulation, like they got Allison Krieg to do her voice. And uh they even did Sonia Gomez, which is not the most obscure, but like the captain of the uh ship that looks like the Excelsior mm-hmm. they call it the Archimedes, I think, and in uh, first first contact like you know she she was a character in a next generation for like one section of an episode and then they kind of they, they never brought her character back and she like you know she's she's all nervous and she spills coffee on captain picard and they even like it how one of her one of her crews does something and just like oh i'm so embarrassed. like oh don't worry i've done something far more embarrassing to a far more important person than me and i got <laughs> okay like it's it's just like it's it's a joyful celebration of Star Trek we love and and a good show right. that just has yeah it's just good but, characters and good stories. The last thing I'll say about that is that they just don't throw the references out there, no context, just like remember, remember this? Like yeah. it integrated well enough into the story to where if you remember it and you're a Star Trek fan, you're like, ha, that's funny. You know, and if you don't, it's like it still works. It's all it, it still feels 
the writing in lower decks feels organic and authentic as opposed to yeah. like some people use previous ip where they just sort of hit you in the face with a dead fish and you're like i'm not getting anything out of it it's nice that we all remember the thing but the thing was not that great yeah so, and i even like there's one bit where they like make a sort of reference to another character and then the person they're talking is like i i have no idea who that is like i i'm a spock person <laughs> All right. Well, that wraps up our review of Lower Decks. Uh, tomorrow we'll have a uh, a page re, uh, replay of Metal Hammer of Doom Overkill: The Wings of War. Uh, on Saturday, a re-airing of our very first on file we ever did. We kicked off that series with Big Trouble in Little China from John Carpenter, starring uh, uh, Kurt Russell. The old Pork Chop Express, baby. Woo! Um, and then because it's July Fourth weekend. It's going to be a bit before we have some new shows. So instead, we'll have another page re-air for uh, Metal Hammer of Doom, Toir, Hell. And then uh, and everyone loves a bad guy for Thor because uh, a week from tomorrow is Thor Love and Thunder. Uh, allegedly, Jesse has a uh, Thor Goddess of Thunder uh, review, which is the 2014 Thor with the, uh, the female Thor as being portrayed by Natalie Portman in the movie. So hopefully that'll go up on July 5th. And then in the evening, we'll be reviewing, it'll be myself, Robert Winfrey, and my son's threatening to come on <laughs> to review Minions, The Rise of Gru. Uh, David will be back with us, as well as a few other people. We'll be reviewing Obi-Wan Kenobi. And then on Thursday, we'll be doing the Metal Hammer of Doom, unless I'm at a game night at my friend's house. <laughs> we'll be reviewing Ailstorm, Seventh Rum of a Seventh Rum. So that's what's going on here on the Rattledge and Broadcasting Network. Dave is also going to be on the July 11th show for Halo. And that's that's it for David for a while. Uh, Dave, yeah, I think uh, I'm on Love, Love and Thunder. I think I should probably try and be on Love and Thunder if there's room. Uh, right now, no one's on Love and Thunder except Robert. Okay. Well, if you need someone else for Love and Thunder, I'll I'll try and uh, get that done. And then, yeah, I think that's it for next month. Right, I'll put you on I'll for Love. next month. I will put you on for Love and Thunder. All you had to do was ask. I don't I don't assume anymore. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and, I, and I don't ask. So, um, all right, you're on for Love and Thunder. There you go. Your wish yeah. is my command. Yeah. And then I think it's Strange New Worlds after that. Oh. Um, you're going to make me look, aren't you? No, mm -hmm. I'm not sure I'm on for Strange New Worlds. It's uh, uh, now, Well, now I'm actually curious to see what else, what all else you're, you're on. So, yes. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Uh, Strange New Worlds is actually the last thing I have you listed for, and that's September 20th. Okay. Yeah. I think the only the other thing I have is House of the Dragon in November. Uh, no, that got cut. Oh, that got cut. Okay, then. Yeah, yeah I, after a certain point, I just stopped doing these, and I'm not adding any more television shows, so. Fair enough, yeah. No, yeah. no worries. Uh, that's fine. Unless you can get Alexis to review it and without me. I'm trying to get, I'm trying to get Alexis, Jason, Jesse, and Robert to start hosting their own shows, so that, you know, yeah. because I'm, because I'm cutting back. Yeah. Uh, so, I think the cutoff was the boys, and then after that, I'm done. I'm not doing anything else. Um, so, like, the, the next show that got announced after that was the Umbrella Academy. And I'm like, hey, someone else want to pick this up because I'm not reviewing it. Uh, so as far as like House of the Dragon goes, I'll watch it. But I'm not going to I'm more than likely not going to review because I don't think I'm going to have time with the only doing it two days a week. But if you can get Alexis to watch it because I know and, and review it and can get her access to StreamYard. Uh, again, I put that with all those people and Sean and I was like, hey, get it together, guys. Give access to StreamYard out. I Hurting cats. Yeah, well, we'll see. Like you, life is life is getting busy, so sometimes it's I don't have as much time to, and and TV shows are tough because you just so well, much to do. Yeah, not not to dovetail into this, but that's why I cut it. You know, 
I, when I decided I was going to cut back to only two days a week, I'm like, well, something has to go like permanently. And I decided, you know, it's, I, I already go to the movies once a week. So damn you, Hollywood's not going anywhere. That's an easy one to do. And, and, and even with like some of the streaming movies, it's like, it's two hours out of my day at best. Yeah. Um, Metal Hammer of Doom is always very easy to do. I can listen to records while I drive. Yeah. What I can't, what I can't, I don't always have time for is 10 hours of television. Yeah, if, if it's a show I want to watch, and especially one my wife can watch with me, then that mm-hmm. usually makes it a lot easier for us. But yeah, we don't always get that. Yeah, I I got lucky this week, and I was able to get all six hours of Obi Wan done between yesterday and today. But I don't always have that kind of time. So, and then again, and then in order to do it, I got to block out almost an entire day to binge binge through something. And I'm like, yeah, I don't really want to be doing this anymore. I'll watch TV uh, casually when I have time. I think I just finished Snowfall today. <laughs> <laughs> I had like two or three episodes of Snowfall left because I was I got busy and I just never watched them. And today, we we had extra time between going to see Minions and doing nothing else. So I was like, I'm gonna finish. Well, I'm gonna catch up on TV that I actually like to watch. I'm not and then not reviewing. Would you believe that? I couldn't get anyone to review Snowfall with me. No one cares that the CIA brought crack to Los Angeles, David. Can you believe that? Yeah, I mean, it sounds interesting, but uh, yeah, not, <laughs> not quite, not quite in my uh, my wheelhouse. No. And, All right, uh, I've got to up to yeah. So thanks everyone for listening to our behind the scenes look at uh, <laughs> broadcasting arc where behind the scenes is part of the regular program, like our bonus yes. pre included. Yep. Uh, in, a, in a future in a future re airing of this episode, this will be the part that I cut. <laughs> All right, folks, thanks for joining us here on TV Party tonight. He's David Wright. I'm Mark Rattledge. Be well, be safe, and behave. <laughs>